Hey up everyone, welcome to Yorkshire Gamers, a Reap Big War Games podcast, and today is episode 18, and uh, shortly we'll be going along to our interview, and today we're speaking with Kurt Campbell, and Kurt has been organising the Analog Hobbies Winter Paint Challenge for a number of years now, and um, it's just about to start again, the... Uh, the recruitment cry has gone out and uh, paints uh, will start to flow in uh, December, December 21st. And uh, we'll talk all about the challenge uh, very shortly. But before we do, as always, we're going to uh, spend a few minutes just catching up and doing a bit of housekeeping. A couple of things to talk about. Uh, first, the, the interview itself. Um, I've been planning to talk to Kurt since I started these uh, podcasts back in February. And I thought it would be the perfect idea to speak to him just prior to the announcement. So plan this in for late November, month before the challenge. No problems at all. Um, I'll speak to you in six months, Kurt. Um, And then, lo and behold... um, WSS, one of uh, the other War Games podcasts out there, uh, only went and gazumped me and interviewed the lad a couple of weeks ago uh, for their podcast. So uh, thanks very much for that, boys. Um, but uh, it's quite an extended interview. This uh, we're usual hour and hour and forty, hour and fifty minutes. Um, so uh, hopefully uh, the WSS podcast hasn't put you off. Uh, maybe it was a little bit of a taster, and uh, it will draw you to it because you heard Kurt on there. Um, but he's a great. Guy guy and um, he's done quite a lot for our hobby so uh, it would be uh, it's great to speak to him and uh, great to shed more light on the wonderful thing that is the analog hobbies winter paint challenge personally wargaming wise um, I went to uh, an event in Sheffield uh, over the weekend and that was called Steel Lard and it's one of a number of events that happen across the UK all dedicated to the wonderful rule sets that uh, Nick Skinner and Rich Clark developed over the years uh, under the Two Fat Lardies uh, banner and uh, it was a great day there was lots of games on from different places and Rich Clark was there and, and Nick Skinner came along and Sydney Roundwood and Aid Deacon and loads and loads of people um, that, and Alex Sutheran, uh, one of the Brews in the Binyard crew uh, he was there as well and um, I put on a game of World War One uh, Mesopotamia uh, using the if the Lord Spares His Rules that I spoke to Dick Skinner about in episode 7 of this podcast and um, I was a bit, not concerns uh, the wrong word, but I was uh, trepidatious that's probably a better word Um, it's Lardy Days normally consist of a full day's gaming, but people will normally play three two, three or four games uh, during that day and will you know, move around from game to game and do a 90-minute game or so. Um, so, you know what we're about here? We're about big games. So I took my uh, Siege of Cut game, which um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, blog post that I did when we fought the game here at Yorkshire Gamer a couple of years ago. And um, it's not a massive game for us, but it's a fairly big game, four or 500 figures on the table, uh, which for World War One is quite a lot. 
and I wasn't sure how it would go down. Um, it's something different for those days. I didn't know whether people would be interested. I didn't know whether they would get into the, the big game style. But what an event it was. It was absolutely fantastic. And uh, we were fully booked. In fact, I think we were overbooked. And we had a full set of players in the morning and again in the afternoon. And um, everyone really got into it. Everyone really, really enjoyed it. Um, so to all the, the guys who played in the game morning and afternoon, uh, thank you very much for making it a wonderful, enjoyable day putting a game on uh, for Steel Lard. And uh, special mention to Chris, who organised everything. Um, he organised the hotel and um, the rooms and free tea and coffee all day. And it's a fantastic event for um, us Northerners. Uh, and a few people, somebody, one of the lads who came in our game had uh, come up on a train from Bristol in the morning. So uh, there's dedication for you. So a big shout out to the two fat lardies and their rule sets and to steel lard it was a great great day and next up is just a repeat of the request for help that i did last episode and as i said then um you know i don't have a patreon scheme i don't ask for money for anything from anyone um but if i if you would like to do me a favor um then i would be really really grateful if you could uh, nominate this podcast uh, in the 2022 caesar awards that are run by little wars tv i think it would be absolutely fantastic after running for a year to get a nomination in the uh in, in, in the podcast category, Wargaming podcast category. So, um, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, if you go along to www.caesarawards.com and that's C-A-E-S-A-R-A-W-A-R-D-S.com and um, if you would be so grateful to nominate Yorkshire Gamers Arete Big Wargames podcast um, for that uh, award uh, I would be eternally grateful and as I say if we can get through to the voting stage that will make my year so we'll go to the interview in a second uh, just so you're aware in the first part there's one of my questions that doesn't quite come through on the microphone and uh, which is quite amusing really considering I'm stood uh, a couple of feet away from my computer and it didn't record properly and Kurt is thousands of miles away in Canada and uh, it recorded absolutely superbly uh, i don't think it will affect your enjoyment uh, but it's just that one section it's a long time since i've had to apologize about sound quality on this uh, podcast uh, so without further ado here's interview Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 18 of the Yorkshire Gamers Elite Big War Games podcast. And in our little bit to save the planet, we parked the Yorkshire Airlines Pigeon in North America for a couple of weeks after our last episode uh, near Virginia. And we're going a up and away to see our guest in Canada today. And uh, he's a long-time gamer with many excellent collections of figures covering all eras of time and beyond. An exquisite painter with a wonderful eye for detail and a strange preference for a Perspex base. His Analog Hobbies website has kept us up to date through his gaming journeys over the years. But to the wider hobby, 
he's better known as the head of an annual event that for 12 years or so has brought together gamers and painters from around the world to encourage each other to paint, to talk and to share the very best of what Wargaming has to offer. If there was a United Nations of Wargaming, this man would be our Banky Moon or our Boutros Boutros Gali. But we know him better as the chief of the Analogue Hobbies Winter Paint Challenge. Yes, it's the Snow Lord himself. Welcome, Kurt Campbell. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. How are you doing, Kurt? Very good. Thank you very much. How are you, Ken? Um, I'm superb, mate. I'm superb. It's great to have you on this episode. I, I'd planned this um, some time ago, and I thought I'll get him in a month before the start of the challenge, um, and then WSS spoke to you a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? Yeah, they scooped you. <laughs> scooped me. I can't. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. all this forward planning, and they go and scoop me. But ne- never mind that. So you, you, you've done a few co- podcasts in, in the past, haven't you? you yeah, yeah, I've been fortunate enough to been uh, to have been asked to be guests for a couple of other uh, podcasts uh, for uh, Little Wars uh, Wargaming down in uh, in the states, and uh, and then for the Canadian Wargamers uh, podcast here as well, which is which is wonderful. I'm it, I'm very honored and flattered to to be asked to to gabble online and and uh, <laughs> hopefully. You know, entertain a few people while they're slaving away over their collections and painting. It'd be great. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, it's good to see the uh, the Canadian Wargamer podcast. Um, very much like this podcast is is Yorkshire centric, north of north of England. Um, sure. For Canada, Canada to have its own podcast focusing very much on Canadian wargaming is a is a great thing. Um, so before you settle down, um, we like—I like to put people on on the spot to start with and sure. um, do the what we call the four-minute challenge. So um, it's an opportunity for you to summarise your war game in history in just four minutes. We're not—we're going to talk a little bit about some of the interesting bits later on, but let's see how you manage to do for a four-minute summary. So have you done any sure. preparation? Not at all. Ah, excellent, excellent. That's what we like to say. <laughs> no, 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 let's go. Let's go. So, so I'll, I'll just count you in, Kurt, and then you've got a four-minute countdown. So, three, two, one, off you go. Great. Yeah, uh, I uh, I started my wargaming here in northern Saskatchewan, a province in the central prairies in Canada, back uh, around 19, uh, 1980. Uh, and... Um, Started off with, like a lot of people, with Dungeons and Dragons, uh, got into the hobby that way. And then as I got older, into my late teens, uh, I got I discovered Napoleonics, which I always called the beautiful game. Um, and uh, yeah, I uh, from that, I met a whole different range of people, hobbyists, uh, more paint painter-oriented. And... Um, yeah, and then I, I had a game store for a few years in Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, with a with a friend of mine, and that was a great experience. Met a lot of uh, a lot of my long term friends that I have today are from that. And uh, yeah, and then I went to university, took a break from gaming and from painting while I went to uni, and then uh, once I got back, got back into it, uh, you know, uh, with a vengeance, and have been going going steady ever since. And so, uh, as you alluded to at the start of the podcast. I uh, my my preferences are wide ranging, so I I love his I love history, I love fantasy, science fiction, pretty much you name it. I I I'll like I like painting it, I like playing it, 
And uh, yeah, and, and for me, it's all about, it's more about the people than uh, than necessarily the game. I, I really enjoy uh, the friendships and uh, the camaraderie that the hobby provides. So yeah, you know, how did I do? That's uh, that's that's uh, that's what I'm going to give you. That's my taste test for. I like that. That that is, that is one minute thirty seven seconds. Wow. of Excellent summary. So you don't get the. Um, you don't get the countdown and you, you don't get the uh, angry policeman shouting at the end. <laughs> well done there, Kurt. Good. <laughs> so, so I like to, when we get somebody on from uh, somewhere other than the UK, to talk about the state of wargaming in, in their country. So um, what's the wargaming scene like in Canada at the moment? Oh, it's, uh, well, you know, COVID's a very strange thing, eh? So, um, you have... You know, it's, you know, it's terrible and, you know, you never like hearing about people getting sick and, and uh, all of the shutdowns and all that stuff. But at the strange thing that's come out about it is that uh, it's, uh, it's provided a lot of people to get in touch through social media, through, you know, Zoom and other platforms to, you know, do paint and chats and to do gaming as well. So, like, I've been connecting with some people I haven't seen for a long time, you know, doing role playing online or doing a uh, doing um paint and chats online so that's that's wonderful the um the uh once we started getting out of our real hard shutdown you know we really got back together here in uh in regina i'm from regina saskatchewan and uh, so we have a small group of guys there's about six of us um that get together um on a fairly regular basis for gaming and we try to game about twice a week on tuesdays and fridays uh for yeah, Fridays is our big big day, and uh, and I usually host uh, here in the city, and then um, yeah, and it's great. Uh, so we play a lot of we play a lot of stuff, uh, both you know board games and uh, and uh, figure games. Um, and so I is, think is, is the gaming scene mostly based around clubs, as it in, is in the UK, or stores, as it is in the states, or right? No. It's a it's a strange uh, sort of kind of a stranger thing here. I, I find in Canada, certainly in the prairies, is that we uh, usually you have it's more private where you have uh, friends that have you know we have bigger houses typically here. A lot of people don't <laughs> yeah. live you know, uh, you don't have a lot of uh, apartment dwellers. Similar like when I was visiting in Madrid, you know you have lots of people that live in in apartments or small yeah. condominiums and stuff. So it's a different environment. So you have clubs or a centralized club that people go to to game because there's more room to more space to yeah. play in but i find here certainly in the prairies people have their own homes their own bungalows and often they have a bit more space to spread out so i find the scene is more of people inviting people over to their homes and you have your clubs are more like just groups of friends that get together um it's it's a stranger environment in the sense that it's more intimate in the sense that you 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 know exactly who's going to be showing up at your house because you're, they're yeah. your friends. But at the same time, it's in a way I would say it's a little bit more insular or limiting because you're not perhaps meeting as a wide as a wide variety of people as you would get in say the UK or the European club scene where you you would get a far greater mix, right? Yeah. Um, and in cities here in the in the in Canada, of course, if you have larger cities that have hobby shops, they'll have their own. Uh, gaming setups um, for people to come over and game at their shops, which is great. Um, and the other thing that's just come up is the cafe gaming scene right, in yeah, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so but that's more along the Euro games and board gamers, more more yeah. or less. But 
that's really great. I, I think, you know, I'm a big proselytizer. I love gaming and I like the whole idea of people using games to socially get together and spend time together. So I think it's great because I find in the cafe scene is you have a lot more women women playing because it's more like Euro games and board games. So, yeah. and I, you know, and I, I love that. I think it's great. Yeah. I think that sort of scenes catching on a little bit in the UK. Um, uh, there's a few shops like that. I know in Edinburgh that, are, and, and, and around the country, there's a thing called geek gaming world or something. I can't remember the exact sure. name. And they're, they're opening up in, in many towns. And, and like you say, there's a big mix in people there, but they're mostly playing card games, board games, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Do you think that distances have a, have a role to play in Canada as well? With the, oh, for sure. Um, yeah, because yeah. uh, you know, we, we, we moan at a 20-mile 20, 20 drive to go and see somebody, but that, I take it for you is just nipping down the shops. Yeah, yeah. We, we always we always joke when we talk to European friends that you know they think a they think a hundred miles is a long distance, and we think a hundred years is a long time, right? <laughs> and uh, and that's the for us, you know, we're very you know we have a fairly small population spread out over one of the largest you know one of the largest land masses countries in the in the world, and so for us, like my friends in Winnipeg, if they're they're you know five six hundred kilometers away. And I find that that's not too bad. That's not a bad drive, you know. And uh, yeah, I, you know, I talk to people in Europe, and they just like they lose their minds because that's you know that's across some countries there. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, like our distances do uh, limit how you know how people interact and get together and stuff. And of course, our weather because you know we're in a subarctic you know climate and so, in many of our locations. So during the winter months. Uh, you don't want to be driving on the highways because it can get treacherous with uh, snow and ice. So, uh, yeah, you, you end up kind of hunkering down near home and you hang out with your friends that are close by. And, yeah, you know, uh, it's it's just different. It's just how people, you know, yeah, the the environment sort of dictate how you, yeah, how you play. How, how you get yeah, yeah, because there's a guy Thomas Moore, I think he's called, who's based in British Columbia, who I know okay. through Twitter, and I think that didn't they have a massive heat wave? They the did, summer? they did. Yeah. They had especially yeah, because they, they they basically live in essentially a rain, you know, basically a rainforest climate, and they ended up having a heat wave over the summer. With our climate change, it's making you know, it's making it's giving us you know, everywhere around the world, it's you know, it's, it's creating these new challenges, right? Um, so. You do most of your gaming at home then, and um, I understand from your blog um, that it's not just in the living room anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> there's a new addition to the household. Yeah, that's right. Uh, my uh, my wife and I we were thinking about moving into a, a different home. I was wanting to get maybe something a bit larger so I could have a dedicated gaming space. But uh, we both love our neighborhood and we like our house, and uh, we really were loath to move. So uh, we knocked our heads together and we thought, well, why don't we just, uh, why don't we build a, uh, a detached structure and uh, you can have it as your gaming, you know, your man cave or your gaming studio. And I said, great. So I, I basically, as far as the city council's concerned here, it's a garage, excellent, you know, excellent. yeah. Yeah. So far as tax purposes and, you know, everything like that for planning permissions, I created it to, so it basically looks and operates like a garage. Well, I guess it doesn't yeah. operate like a garage. It operates as a big geek gaming zone, but it, <laughs> as, uh, but it's outside, it looks like a garage. And uh, yeah, it took, and of course with COVID, everything is so backed up for getting supplies and stuff, but it took about a year to get it completed. But I just finished it this, uh, this early, this autumn. 
And uh, yeah, it's lovely. It's uh, it's roughly about a 20 by 20 space. So yeah, 400 square feet. Uh, so it's a really, you know, a nice amount of room to knock around in. And yeah. And has all your gaming stuff gone into that room? Um, the majority of it, the most of the playing stuff is there for sure. Yeah. The far as the paint, like the hobby, like I should say the hobby, but the painting side of it stays in the house, uh, in the main house. Cause I, yeah, uh, my wife, Sarah, she likes, uh, we like to hang out, so she'll be reading and I'll be painting, you know, painting away, lashing away here. So I like having all of my, <laughs> I like having all of my figures and my paints and, you know, my uh, spray booth and all that stuff is still in the house. But as far as the actual getting up and gaming, I've moved that all out into the studio. So yeah, uh, I, take, I take it that's been um, heavily insulated, has it? With the yeah, yeah, it's it's essentially a small house, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's fully insulated. I got air conditioning in it. I got heat heat into it. You know, I think yeah, I got a humidifier and a dehumidifier. Pretty much anything you need in there is in there. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, very comfortable. Oh, brilliant! Well, um, there seems to be uh, a. a number of people who are, are getting these caves and, and man sheds and stuff built throughout sure. the world uh, and i think it's a fantastic thing i have to say uh, it's yeah. great it was great to see, see yours going up on on the blog and it building up over time so yeah. um it sounds fairly big then what sort of table have you put in there uh i've decided to go i have right now i'm having a it's an eight by five table uh, which is not, it's a pretty good size. It's not bad, uh, in a, but it can stretch out to about, uh, it could do six by 10 and still be comfortable to have around th probably about three and a half, four feet around it for yeah. sitting down, walking about. That's I'm a bigger guy. Uh, and I hate, you know, like when it gets so tight, I don't like, you know, it just gets uncomfortable, especially when you're in with a bunch of sweaty other guys for, you know, six <laughs> hours of gaming. Um, it's nice to have a bit of room. And, uh, and then that doesn't include all of the, you know, and then I got shelving all around it for all of the, all of the gaming supplies and terrain and other stuff. So yeah, it's comfortable. It's nice. I find that, uh, the majority of our gaming probably operates on that five by eight yeah. sort of a uh, playing surface with a little bit left over for, you know, for drinks and sheets of paper and dice and stuff like that. Yeah, I think uh, the vast majority of war games rooms, uh, war games tables in the world, the, the the foot on the end is, always gets drinks and papers and and stuff. Yeah, on them. yeah so, you uh, know, uh, yeah, I find the uh, and I'm rather draconian about having food on the table. I've had a few disasters with sodas yeah. being dropped on tables and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, really try to uh, encourage people to use the other side surfaces for drinks and things like that but uh that's my one of my own pet picadillos i guess <laughs> well that, that, that's very good we've had cups of tea go over and stuff here so no drinks yeah. on the table is very very much a, a rule here mm -hmm. um so I, I found that information out on your personal blog so we're, we're going to talk about the 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 painting challenge blog later sure. on but, but you have your own blog the analog hobbies um so when did that start? Oh, when gosh. God, uh, that would be probably 13 or 14 years ago, I guess. Uh, yeah. Back when, back when uh, you know, the when blogging was really in its infancy, right, in the first few yeah. years. And, uh, you know, and it was just uh, – and I still love it. I still – there's something about blogging that I still really like. I know it's kind of fallen into – I don't want to say disfavor, but maybe more disuse is the best yeah. term. 
people like Twitter and other stuff instead, it seems. But I, I find Twitter, I like, I, am, I have a Twitter account as well, but I find it kind of very fleeting and ephemeral, right? It, things yeah. just disappear, disappear after a few days. And there's something about blogging. I love being able to go back into people's blogs because you can, it's like a diary, right? You can get yeah. a more of a sense of the the history of a person's time and the hobby and people are, it gives you more room to be more thoughtful and, you know, you can sort of spread out, you know, in text and yeah. pictures. Right. So I still like blogging. It just takes a little bit more work. Yeah. I think, um, I, I still run my blog. I don't put as much on as I used to, but yeah. for things like um, after action reports and scenarios, and you know, if you do, if you're doing this discussion piece, um, then that's the perfect place for it, isn't it? Because it, yeah. it stays there, and people come to it. And if you type in Spanish Civil War scenarios, then you, you come up with loads of stuff yeah. from the past. Whereas yeah. Twitter just doesn't have that search feature, does it? No, and of course, there's just not enough room in the text to really spread out and, and enjoy, or to really, you know, proselytize what you're doing with your <laughs> with your games, right? So, but yeah, whereas blogging just allows you that extra elbow room to, you know, your extra vanity, extra vanity space to uh, yeah. to put out put out your stuff. So it's great. Yeah you, can, yeah, you can get a lot more than one photograph on there as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, so you, you mentioned in your uh, four minutes that you used to run a game store. Um, yes, yeah. Uh, that was Winnipeg, I think you said. So yeah. How, how long ago was that? Gosh, um, I was. Uh, I won't date myself, but uh, it will be. Uh, yeah, well, it would have been back in 1986, um, 85, 86, uh, and then from a few years and from there, so probably into the. Uh, late 80s and uh, yeah me and my best friend from my hometown we started a game store in Winnipeg I was I was uh, when we opened it I was 19 I was 19 wow. years old so yeah got uh, we got federal grant money uh, seed money to help us out so that was wonderful and uh, yeah and it was great we uh, we had this wonderful experience as two young young two young men uh, business experience we didn't know what the, we didn't have a freaking clue of what we were doing Um <laughs> But we did, we did, you know, by the end of it, we were, you know, we were old sweats, right? But, uh, but it was great. And um, I met uh, so many of my friends that I have today, I met through the game store. Uh, you know, they were, they were customers first, and then they became really good friends later on. So, yeah, it was spectacular. And that was, uh, that was, like I said, it was in the mid, uh, mid 80s. And that was just when Warhammer, you know, and 40k was coming into play. And so it was fun to be a part of that whole experience when games workshop was just exploding and uh you know you could and there's lots of people that you know there's have a sort of a love-hate relationship with gw but uh but i have to say it you know it gw put somewhat put gaming on the map right it really helped put uh gaming uh yeah brought it out of you know really out of the basements and put it into the you know shop shop fronts more so it was great to be a part of that and um, was that the the main thing that you sold in the shops, GW, or what was sort of range of stuff did you? Yeah, have? no, you know, is uh, the actually the majority of the stuff that we sold was good hardcore board games. You know, Avalon Hill, SPI, you know, um, yeah, you know the the uh, all of the mainstays of uh, board gaming, war war gaming, board gaming. Um, of course, a lot of role-playing stuff as well. You know, Dungeons and Dragons, RuneQuest, um, all of those old salts from uh, from the '80s. 
Uh, and of course, you know, Warhammer had their, uh, or GW had their Warhammer fantasy role play that had come out. Uh, yeah. Call of Cthulhu was relatively new on the scene, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, I hated it. Yeah, for sure, you know, and <laughs> and uh, so we that and of course we were like college age at that time, so a lot of our mates were, you know, that's you know, role playing was a big thing back then. So that was uh, that was sort of the bread and butter, and then we started like as I got more into figure war gaming, Napoleonics, and that then we started bringing in more um more of the you know wrg oof, yeah you know wrg stuff which yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah wow and um we you know we were bringing in lots of uh, more miniature rule sets uh at that yeah. time um so over the years you've, you've doubled in many different things many different periods scales etc what, right. what are your favorites what are, what are a few of your favorites that you go back oh to? man oh wow uh, you know i uh i come from like much like yourself that you know the 28 mil scale is still my first love uh, just because you have that little extra space to especially with uniforms um napoleonics and you know italian wars things like that you just have so much fun uh painting that stuff in 28 mil but uh over the years i've started to really have a love affair with the smaller scales in order to reflect mass you know the i, I have a fascination for the for the formations of different periods so i really like the you know the 10 mil 6 mil even right down to 2 mil uh where you're you're, you're more interested in looking at the mass or in the formation types uh of uh of a period um you know certainly for things like uh you know, 30 years war, English Civil War, uh, Napoleonics, where formations are incredibly important, right? And, uh, yeah, and I find that fascinating. So I, I like the smaller scales for that. Do you have any issues with updating bigger supplies over there? With, you know, if you want to just get 6 mil Bacchus figures or 10 mil Pendraken figures, are they easily available or are you having problems with imports at the moment? Oh, yeah, what's always been, like with us being in Canada, you're, we're sort of used to always, you know, you're always mail ordering in stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you, you don't go down to a local shop to pick the stuff up. It's, it's, uh, it's just not done. The stock lists, people, you know, I and I get it is that uh, you can only carry so much stuff in your square footage for stores and yeah. they, yeah, they're looking for things that they know they can get high turnover. And, uh, so, you know, these odd scales and odd periods are not going to be that as attractive. So, you, <laughs> you know that you're going to have to do mail order. So, we're so used to it. So, you just, you know, you... Yeah. And it's always kind of the fun. I remember, you know, even, you know, and it's, it's funny how you still feel like a kid. Well, we do anyway, when you're yeah. ordering stuff and then you're, you have to wait for like three weeks or a month to the stuff to show up. Right. So, um, and that's okay. You know, anticipation is, is a good thing. So it's okay. Yeah. I, I, I can remember those, those days here when you would um, like beg a check from your parents to pay for it and you'd have to wait for weeks on an end for them to yeah. arrive. Um, yeah. Whereas now, many, many manufacturers, if I order from uh, Perry's, are a good example. If I order from the Perry's, sometimes I'll order at one, two o'clock in the afternoon and then there the next morning. That's phenomenal. So, so there's no sense of anticipation waiting for them to come yeah. through. It's just like, bang, they're there. I would, I, would, I would gladly give up my anticipation for having that <laughs> level of service. <laughs> Yeah, the romance of anticipation fades when I hear about delivery speeds that fast. <laughs> uh, I, I was just trying to make you feel better, Kurt. That's yeah, no, that's good. That's fine. That's fine. 
Are, are there any um, Canadian manufacturers? Is is Raffam Canadian? Uh, yeah, the uh, part uh, our elements of it are. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I co I've collected a few of their stuff through Kickstarters, but yeah. um, there's not a lot um, in Canadian. Man like, there's more. There's some more boutique sculptors doing 3D stuff for sure. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I would say the you know the the majority of of uh, figures and that is like as everybody knows, it's coming out of the UK, it's coming out of the US, and some out of Europe, right? That's sort of yeah. the three main areas that you're getting most of the stuff. So one thing that I like to cover in the start of the podcast with my guests is something sure. that I've called the Venn diagram of wargaming, <laughs> uh, and uh, this is just basically dividing our personalities into four separate areas and then seeing sure. which we like the most and how they fit together and how that affects how we game. So the, the four areas are wargamer, painter, collector, and historian. Um, so right. where do you sit in those? Oh, I would say I am probably... Um, I would think the... Um, Everything except collector, um, I would all, I would put my weight on uh, the wargaming and the historian. I, I am actually I'm a, I'm an archivist by profession, so I work in the historical um, field professionally, and so I love history, I love painting, and uh, I love hanging out with my friends and being uh, yeah. you know gaming. Yeah. The the co the collecting has just sort of happened just as a byline of the other three, right? Yeah. Um, okay. So I don't really collect, you know. Um, I don't really aim my hobby time or my 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 uh, capital based off of collecting. Uh, my collecting just happens as organic extension from those other three things. I think. Yeah. Do you do you part ways with collections of figures, or do you do you and to hold stuff. You know, uh, it's funny. I um, it's funny you mention that because a few a uh, few years ago, I really i i did a post on the blog. I think it was actually on the challenge blog where I uh, one of my first uh, Warhammer uh, 40k armies was Sisters of Battle. For anybody that yeah. plays uh, 40k, that's the female one of the female factions and. They uh, the sculpts were fantastic uh, when they came out uh, in the I don't know when it was late early nineties late eighties and so I painted up a whole army of that slaved away and then uh, and then Sarah and I um, we really wanted to go to Paris uh, one year and I promised her that it was I think it was an anniversary year and I promised yeah. her okay we're gonna we're gonna go to Paris and uh, we were I was short on cash and so I uh, I had not played with my sister's a battle army for probably, you know, decades. And so I thought, you know, come on, like big deal. What, when, when, you know, what's, what's yeah. the big deal about this? So I sold them. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, and I got, you know, I got a good coin. I was quite happy with what I got for them. And then we had a great time in Paris. It was fabulous. Uh, it largely financed a trip to Europe. So, you know, uh, but, yeah, but I'll tell you, I, re I regretted giving up that collection since since that time like i just kick myself so i to answer your question there was a long-winded way to get to it is i hate giving up stuff that i paint 
Um, yeah. I, I'm a hoarder. Like if I paint it, I'm a relatively slow painter too. Um, so I enjoy the process of painting. And so when I finish something, I very rarely like giving it up unless I give it, unless I'm doing it as a gift for a friend or something, right? That's different. But yeah. it's, if it's for my collection, uh, now I, it's like, you're going to have to pry it from my cold dead hands. <laughs> before before i'm going to give it up you know i joke with sarah that she'll have i'll have to be like a viking or one of those dark age uh uh you know champions that gets buried inside their longboat with all of their figures stacked next to them right that'll that'll be neat oh, yeah. yeah definitely yeah. definitely so your, your your collecting is kind of um disguised as hoarding that is is kind of what you say really isn't it yeah almost you know i you know i look at my painting cabinet and definitely there are collections there for sure but i have stuff that's that, that's hardly i would even hardly call it a collection because i because i because i uh i just want to try a couple figures from a range or from a period because i just want to try painting it and seeing what it's like or i want to check out oh what's you know i wonder how that how that worked in resin or how did they do that in metal and and so I'll pick a figure up here or, or partial unit. So I have all of this really, my, my collections are really it's kind of a mess because, you know, there's nothing, I should say nothing. There's very few things that are fully realized. There's just a lot of, a kind of bit of a hodgepodge of stuff. So, so what's your, what's your painting technique? Because you, if I don't mind me saying you, you you're a pretty decent painter. Um, Thank you. So what's your sort of technique or what's your secret is probably too big a word, but what, what's your methods? Um, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm pretty standard for a lot of, a lot of guys in the hobby. I, uh, you know, I, I prime in, uh, I prime in black or dark, dark brown. I, uh, I then do a dry brush in, uh, probably two shades of, uh, a gray and then a light gray. Mm. Uh, and then, uh, I often will use glazes then that will use the, the gray and light gray to, you know, provide gradients. Yeah. And then I'll and then I'll go in and do start find find detailing from there, you know, and um, you know, and I do like you know the typical you know typically you know triad triad style painting, mm-hmm. um, though you know sometimes that'll if it's a character figure or something I'm really you know like really getting into uh, then I'll I'll expand it into more layers, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah majority of acrylics though you know so now I'm getting I'm more interested in trying out some oils. I love the new, uh, you know, I'm really enjoying the new contrast paints that came out from Citadel. That was, uh, they're actually quite fun, uh, yeah. fiddly, but uh, I'm quite enjoying using them. Um, and uh, and I like using glazes a lot. Um, yeah. yeah, and the airbrush, uh, that was a, that's actually relatively new for me. I just, I picked up an airbrush just a few years ago. And uh, I love, uh, there's, you know, not for everything, but for certain things, I really like using the airbrush. Yeah, I'm I'm relatively new to airbrush myself, and and yeah. certain jobs, um, tank camo for a is, is yeah. the one main one that I use them for. It's absolutely superb. So when yeah. are you? Um, some people I talk to, they paint purely to get um, miniatures ready for gaming, or is the right. joy in painting for you? Yeah, there's uh, it's definitely just a joy in doing in doing painting um though i have to say i i love i mean we maybe talk about that in a, this in a bit but i i love hosting games like i, I get a tremendous yeah. joy out of setting up scenarios and doing uh doing doing a game for the for the friends here and yeah. i always i think whether this is by happenstance or design i my, my, i'm always a few figures short of what i want to do right <laughs> Yep. And so it's great to have a, uh, okay, you know, to say, okay, uh, in two weeks, I'm putting on a 
Italian Wars game, or I'm putting on a Napoleonic game, or a, a pulp, you know, fantasy type game, and then to know, okay, I got to get rid of, I got to not get, I got to paint up these dozen figures or this vehicle or this piece of train in order to get it done. And it's a great, you know, I find it as a great impetus just to, you know, oh great, I have this deadline to work towards. Um, let's let's get this done, and uh, I really enjoy that. That's good. That's good to get. Like I say, different people have different ways of thinking, and and some people it's very much about getting it done as quickly as they can to get the the, the figure on the table. And he said yeah. you were quite you were quite a slow painter as well. Yeah, I wouldn't because you know I'm not incredibly slow based on you know based off of the challenge. You, you get some people that really spend a lot of time. Like they, you know, we have some painters that. <laughs> Basically, yeah, like they're you know fabulous painters, but they take a long time to do their work, and I yeah. you know I appreciate that. I still like getting stuff on the table, but I like I like to uh, have a fairly good uh, tabletop quality uh, yeah. for my stuff. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't call myself quick, but I wouldn't call myself glacial either. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, just before we finish off this first section, then, um, what's your what's your current project? Then, what's what are you working on at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's kind of odd. I um, I picked up uh, Simon Miller's uh, for King and Parliament. His uh, you know, to the strongest uh, yeah, variant. He's, he's got a lot to answer for that lad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I really enjoyed uh, the rules design for that. And um, so during the summer, I uh, I picked it up and I really liked what I saw. And I said, okay, let's do this. And then I thought, you know, let's let's have some fun with this. And so I did it all in wood. <laughs> so I uh, so I basically it's all it's like a wooden uh, used a um, birch uh, cut laser cut birch. And stained both sides different colors, oh, okay, and, yeah. and and it's sort of like a very minimalistic. So I use the formations. I'm going to be blogging it in a few uh, in yeah. a in a few days. But I, what I did is I I laser cut all of the uh, formations. So you look at the when you look at it, it looks like almost like a map, like in those old style maps where you could see the pike formations and the mm. cavalry formations. But they're all done in uh, in um, so it's not figures, but they're still bases of formations, but done in wood where I use stain. And I did so. I could, what it allowed me to do is to do both the royalist and the uh, parliamentarian side in one week. I got it all done, and wow. put on and put on a game, which was like exhilarating to be able to you know to find a set of rules, get the stuff you know brought in and get it all done up, and have us playing within you know a couple of weeks. It was fabulous. So that was one summer project, and now I'm working on um, I'm working on some ten mil stuff for fantasy um large large scale fantasy stuff and then i'm yeah. going to get back into doing a uh, siege of malta i think this this winter so renaissance plenty on the go plenty on yeah the go. plenty on the go yeah <laughs> brilliant well we'll just have a quick break now and uh, we'll be back shortly to talk about big games Okay, so we'll move on to our second section, and um, in this section, I like to talk to people about big games, and that was the reason for me starting this podcast, but big games to um, people mean different things, so I always like to have a little chat with my guests about what they think of when they hear big games. So when you hear that, Kurt, what, what springs to mind when you hear big <laughs> games? I typically, 
I think of exhaustion. <laughs> and I, I think, uh, and uh, but I also think of a lot of camaraderie, right? Yeah, um, uh, yeah I you know I've put on a lot of big games in the past, and um, and they are as you well know because I know you put on lots of big games, yeah. and then uh, you know we have Dave Doherty as well, uh, yeah, Dave, yeah. another one, yeah, one of our friends who loves putting on big games as well, and. Uh, I, they're a lot of work, you know, and, uh, and you get a lot of personalities around the table and, uh, yeah, I find it, it it is exhausting, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but you, you have to have, um, uh, you have to have everybody at the table that has, that has buy-in, I find, you know, like that's, uh, one of the things, you know, um, I always try to do when I decide that I'm going to put on a big Napoleonic game or, a a large scale, you know, even if it's a, and when you say big game, sometimes it's not a big game in, in this number of miniatures. It's just a big game, just a number of players. Right. So yeah. yeah, you have a lot of, you have eight players playing a big skirmish game. Right. And, uh, but you have to have everybody at the table that has buy-in to what you're doing because, um, you're sort of creating an environment where it's a, uh, you're wanting a mood. And if you have somebody or some people at the table that aren't having a good time or weren't really into it, it's uh, it can really, it can really bring down the tone, right? Cause you want, yeah. you want to, you know, cause you're pissed. You're spending a lot of time putting this on. You want to make sure that it's uh, that it's well received and everybody's having a good time. So yeah, I, uh, I, I love big games, but at the same time, I want to make sure there's enough planning put into them to make sure they come off well, because I've been, I've been, I've been invited to a lot of big games where they start, they come unglued as well. Right. So, yeah, I, I think um, we, we're singing off the same hymn sheet here because um, some of the people that I've spoken to who aren't into big games will have had a bad experience with a big game. And as I've said before on the podcast, if you have a bad experience in a skirmish game, you've lost an hour, uh, maybe two hours of your life and you're not yeah. that bored. But if you have a bad big game and you've you know you've given up a weekend you've maybe traveled got a hotel uh and that kind of scars you for life doesn't it so so how important is it for you then organizing these games to make sure that everyone's involved yeah it's uh it's huge and uh i guess maybe this might even go come into one of your second areas in the podcast about your your pet your pet picadillos right (laughs) in that you know you i find when i'm putting on a uh, a larger game it planning it's planning is everything right it's just yeah. it has to be what like all of the all of the uh, you know the quick reference sheets your your explanation of the scenario you want to make sure everybody has a good grasp of the rules of the mechanics because the last thing you want to be doing is starting off and spending an hour and a half or two hours just going over how the turn sequence works yeah. right you know, because you're going to have, you know, if you have six or seven or eight, whatever guys over to have a fun, you're, you're going to have some people, you know, slipping into a coma because they're waiting for the game to start while the uh, there's others that haven't gotten up to speed yeah. yet. Right. And so you need to make sure that everybody's sort of on this is rowing on the same direction as has, you know, and is ready to play the game. But that also means yourself and that having having the surface already. You know, having, you know, it's all the small things like making sure you, their dice is there. Everybody has their yeah. measuring, you know, like, so you're not running around, you know, for five minutes trying to find simple things like, you know, uh, sheets and stuff like that or, or dice or, or, uh, or tape measures, things like that. 
I like to have uh, like a whiteboard up that has the turn breakdown, you know, so it's it's up and people can just look up and take a look at, oh, this is where we are in the turn sequence, you know, um, because not everybody, often when you give out QRS, you know, quick reference sheets, they often end up underneath a drink within minutes, right? <laughs> and so, you know, uh, so I try to, you know, you try to do as many things to help move the game along at a clip. And then the other thing I find when I say exhausting, I typically never play when I'm when I'm running the games. I typically just game master it because I find you I find you pretty much need that in order to keep the game moving. So you say, okay, we're on to this pulse, and you know, and then you know, qu querying all of the players to make sure everybody's understands what's going on and that the, the game is moving along. And then it also I find when you have a game master that's running it, it helps. Um, it helps mitigate rules lawyering and things like yeah. that because you have some players that get really into the rules and they want to deliberate everything and you sort of have to make things clip along because yeah, as you know the more personalities you have around the table the longer a turn takes right because yeah. if it's you and i playing to the strongest like we can we can go through a turn in 15 minutes right yeah but if you have eight people playing to the strongest with four people aside, it's it it just like it just slows right down. Which yeah. is then that's fine because it's great to have all the friends around. But it means you have to take that into account. Yeah, I think I think having that person who's umpiring is probably the wrong word, but game mastering, like you say, that yeah. also gives you the opportunity to switch things around you yeah know, if one person's not getting much of a game then you can switch things around so that they get more involved and keep absolutely yeah. on the table which is which is the key to these yeah games. and the other thing too i find because it, it is almost like like almost like a role-playing game mastering environment sometimes like when i'm running large-scale Napoleonic games, and especially when you have things that are coming in from off-board. I'll use this as an example. So you have reinforcements coming in. And if you ran it, I find when I've been involved, or I've, when I was younger and I'd run it where it was purely off of a die roll, you would have this lousy luck where, you know, <laughs> these there's players dying to get their, you know, Davoon's third quarter to show up, and the bugger does not, you know, you don't roll what you need, right? Whereas I find when I'm game master it, I can watch the tempo of how the game is unfolding, how people are, if they're having fun and everything, and whether there's a, ten, there's a tension in the game, right, with how the scenario is playing out. And then you can say, okay, Davu's coming in this turn. Yay, you know, and, and groans from the other side. And you can, you can sort of, you can sort of uh, dictate the tempo of how the story yeah. unfolds, right? Yeah. Whereas if you don't have that, you know, finger on the pulse of how the game's unfolding, it can go off the rails just off of bad luck, right? Yeah. And um, so is the joy for you in the big game the social side of it then? Is that what you enjoy the most? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I uh, I always joke with my friends that, it, they, I, you know, we could play tiddlywinks, <laughs> but if I have my friends, if I have my friends with me, it's going to be a good time. Whereas I could have the best, rule system out there and if i have somebody i can't you know i cannot stomach across the table it's going to be lousy no matter how good of a game how nice the figure is you know yeah. it, it doesn't matter it's it's all about the people and the social interaction uh for me um the crafting the game the the scenario 
plays almost second fiddle to that's my primary, you know, um, concern is making sure people have a good time when they, cause you know, we all work, we all have, you know, we all have jobs and busy schedules and families and you carve out time each week or once a month or however it works out that you can come out for a game and you want to make sure you have a good time. Oh, most definitely. Um, what's some of your favorite big games then? What's, can you think of ones back in time and just go, Oh yeah, that were a cracking weekend. Yeah. We played, uh, we, well, gosh, it's in the early nineties. I put on a big, uh, Malta game uh, with the you know the German paradrop into into yeah. Malta in World War Two and uh, that was that was tremendous tremendous good fun and uh, and uh, and then I I've done a few games that are all like skirm- more skirmish based based off of uh, uh, film crews like so you'd have uh, it was nineteen like a nineteen sixties film set where everybody's running a what you know what a centurion plus his lackey. And really, they're just actors, and you're you're playing these personalities, and you're you're slaying barbarians and saving damsels in distress, and you have like six or seven or eight people around the table, but everybody's having a ball because it's yeah. very lighthearted, and those uh, those type of games are are great fun as well. And then um, and then the, then the, I love the big Napoleonic uh, games just because of the color and the pageantry and seeing you know when you can get your entire collection groaning you know on the table yeah. you know when. It, yeah, I know people who've had to have floors reinforced <laughs> because of their Napoleonic collections in the loft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so where, whereabouts would you do those sorts of games then? Would you hire a hall or? Um, often, uh, I've been lucky in having bigger, bigger houses. So I've been able to host them at the home. Um, uh, but some, some we've done at university, uh, we played a large Aspern Essling game. Um, Napoleonic, you know, eighteen oh nine campaign, uh, but we did that at our local university, and uh, so we managed to because we have a, a couple of the guys that are in our group are professors, so it was easy to get space at the university. Yeah, uh, yeah, know the right people, know the right people. Yeah, the, but I'm very, I'm very anal about my figures, so I hate schlepping them anywhere. So um, yeah, whenever I have to carry figures around, I get very nervous. <laughs> I can imagine. Do you have many game shows in Canada to, to put displays on? No, uh, we're not. Uh, there's there are some. There's uh, one called Hot Lead out in the east. Um, uh, that's a great show. Uh, there's a few that are out on the west coast as well. And then uh, and then there's more just gaming conventions, um, more of like like role playing and board gaming. Um, you see a lot of those around. Um, but we don't have a. I wouldn't not the same sort of scene that you have in UK or in, yeah. in Europe or in the U S for that matter. Yeah. So um, just to finish this little section off on the, on the big games then um, sure. a lot of newer rules coming out are more based around skirmish games and a lot of people, a lot of things seem to be skirmish game orientated. What would you say to somebody? Because a lot of people say to me, "Oh, I can't do that, Ken. No, it's too big. It'll take me too long." What advice would you give to somebody if they wanted to aspire towards a big game? Yeah, it takes. Uh, yeah, I would suggest that um, instead of if I had somebody that was really new and uh, wanting to get into this and wanting to do, you know, look at doing a big game, I would say, you know, really look at doing perhaps trying it in a really small scale and like a small scale figures. Um, yeah, where you're not worrying about, you know, all that detail, because it can be so, 
dispiriting when you're trying, you know, back in the back, you and I, when we started, you know, when, when 28 or 25s, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to be painting for three years before we get a game going. Right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the, the idea of that is so daunting for so many people. And I understand it. Uh, that I would, you know, I often would suggest, hey, do you ever thought about using like these uh, very small scale where you're not even, you're more, it's more impressionistic painting, right? You're, you know, yeah. two mil, six mil, um, and then you're doing formations. And you, instead of using rules that are um, um, necessarily battalion based, maybe do something that's more brigade scaled, like uh, mm -hmm. Sam Mustafa's um, Blucher or yeah. something like that, where. It will allow you with a more with less investiture in in miniatures. You can get you can get started into gaming, and then um, the uh, the other thing too is like coming back to Sam Mustafa's set. There's like a lot of these sets now are coming out where you can use cards to begin with, right? Yes. And then yeah. you know, and then slowly as you paint stuff, you can replace the cards with your miniatures, and I think that's brilliant because it allows people to get to get into it and. Uh, uh, to see whether it's their thing, and uh, and if it is their thing, it'll typically it'll typically get them enthused about it, and then they'll want to to get stuff painted, right? Yeah, because one of the, one of the big um, things with the wargaming hobby is it's not just a wargaming hobby; it's a, it's a painting hobby, it's a modeling hobby. It, yeah. It's a, you know you have to base things and and play games, and there's so many aspects to it. Whereas you know if you if you take up chess you buy a chessboard yes. and go play chess and there's yes. a play aspect to it if you yeah. collect model soldiers you just buy them and put them in a cupboard yeah. there's so many different aspects to it so i think yeah that's a that, that's a great idea to just use card to start with and then build yourself up from there so yeah uh, little bit little big gamers become big big gamers that's yeah. what i find that's the way forward for it so yeah. ladies and gentlemen we'll be back in a minute with our quiz Right, ladies and gentlemen, we've seen how the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz went down in the south of the uh, North America. Let's see how it works in north of North America. So, as uh, the disclaimer that I always give at the start of this is that this is uh, this is just my opinion, and uh, I'm not trying to upset anybody with any of this. It's just a bit of a laugh and a joke. And this uh, is to see how Yorkshire Gamer you are. Um, <laughs> so, um, Kurt, there's uh, 20 questions. Uh, all right. They're all... They're all uh, relatively quick fire. They're either one an, one answer or the other, or yes or no. Um, All right. You can, you can get extra explanations if you if you require them. Um, but I think probably the best thing is just to crack on and, and, and get started. Okay, so, let's question, do it. Question one: uh, Go big or go home? Mm, go big. Go big. Um, contrast paints are they great or are they a gimmick? Uh, great. Um, this one might not translate. Um, paintbrushes, Windsor mm. and Newton, or Yorkshire made pro art? Mm, Windsor and Newton. Windsor and Newton. Do you have pro art in, in Canada? No. no. But I've heard of them. Ah, you have heard of them. Brilliant. I'm, uh, I'm hoping to try and blag a visit to the factory and, and do a podcast there. So uh -huh. I'll make you can, you can be my Canadian distributor. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk later. Um, We'll talk later. Um, 
96 figures. Is that an army or a pike block? <laughs> uh, pike block. Yeah, good lad. Um, six by four table. Is that big game or small game? Small game. Um, when you're organising a game, do you prefer points-based or historical order of battle? Oh, historical order. Thanks, you. <laughs> um, no. when, you're doing, when you're doing your painting, um, do you mix your paints on a wet palette or an old bit of MDF? Uh, wet palette? Um, you've already pretentious. I'm very pretentious. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Go um, ahead. When you undercoat figures, do you go black or white? Uh, black. Black. Um, you are offered a drink. Would you prefer Yorkshire tea or dirty monkey coffee? <laughs> oh, I, 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 I like the sound of the Yorkshire tea. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Well, there's, there's, there's occasional regional bias that comes across in these questions. That sure. Um, it's, it's deeply hidden, and sometimes you can't see it, but it, it's yeah. there. Trust me. Um, <laughs> so your war games units. Um, do you like the figures tightly packed or socially distanced? Tightly packed. Tightly um, when you choose a game, would you like a two-hour club game or a weekend monster game? Mm. Two-hour club game. Um, now, it, you, you'll know what avocado is, won't you? Because Canadian is quite um, sophisticated. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but do you know what mushy peas? Do you know what mushy peas are? Yes, indeed. Ah, excellent. So. Um, this is my Nick Skinner from Two Fat Lardies. This is the honorary question yeah. for Nick. Um, avocado, are they just posh, mushy peas? Yes. Yes, good lad. Um, round dice, spherical dice, are they allowed or banned on your table? <laughs> um, spherical dice? I mean, what are those? Tell me. Please, tell me. If you imagine a dice shaped like a ball. Uh-huh. With numbers on, and I don't want to influence your question, influence your answer in any way, shape, or form. But they're a right pain in the ass, and they they never stop rolling, and they fall off the end of the table. And when they do finally stop, you they sound diabolical. Them. Absolutely not. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. That's the one question after eighteen episodes that everyone has said back. Yeah. Um, now another one that might not translate abroad, but um, fish and chip shops. Do you have those? Um, yes, we do. Uh, they're not, not common, but we do have them, yeah. Um, so if you were choosing a fish, would you go haddock or cod? Oh, cod. Cod. Good lad, good lad. Um, rules. Do you like a, a table and a set of rules, like a casualty table where you have dice roll and figures and you cross-reference, or do you prefer the more modern method of six and you're dead? Oh, um, hmm. Hmm. I think I still like the old school tables. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Twenty-eight mil is king. Yes or no? Yeah, still is. Uh, still is. Excellent. Oh, it's going very well so far. Um, unmin unpainted miniatures allowed on the table. Yes or no? No, absolutely not. Uh, excellent. Um, right, foot football. Um. <laughs> So that, this is the proper one where you kick it, not the one where you yeah. throw it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Good. Uh, um, so uh, Bradford City or Leeds United, if you had to pick a team? 
Oh, good lord. Um, um, Legion. Oh, dear. Um, now, are you, are you aware of the War, Wars of the Roses? Of course. Yeah, and Yorkshire fought somebody over the hill. So mm-hmm. if you had to choose a side, would you pick Yorkshire or that other lot over the hill? Oh, Yorkshire, of course. Oh, brilliant, good lad. Um, and then the final question, uh, GW, Games Workshop, are they the work of the devil? They are indeed. They are. <laughs> right, so one, two, three, four. You've done uh, 75%. Oh, good. I, oh, I think that's pretty reasonable. Well, that's very All good right. indeed. Nice, yeah. just slightly above the the the, the mean for uh, the statistical average. That's very good. Yeah, and for for a colonial, I'm sure that's not bad. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, most of the regional questions you got right as well. I know mm. you did say Leeds United, not Bradford City. So. I, I did. That was purely a flip of a coin. I I had no. <laughs> I have I have no dog in that fight. I'm afraid. Uh, no, normally, I wear my Bradford City top for that question. Yeah. Oh yeah, you should you should have done that to tip me. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to wear, to wear that tonight. Um, so um, the, the, the second part of the of the third part of the of the uh, of the podcast is the War Games Room One Hundred and One, and this is your opportunity to um, hitch something up to a trailer and take it down to the War Games tip because you just don't want to see it anymore. Um, so I take it you're familiar with George Orwell's Room One Hundred and One from nineteen eighty four, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, have you, have you had a think? Is there a pet hate that you would like to consign to the room? Mm. Um, hmm. Well, you know, I'll just say, I'll just, yes, I do. Uh, yeah. But I, it's not, I'm not incredibly, I wouldn't say hateful about it, but it does something that does kind of rankle. We'll, we'll, do, oh, we'll, niggle, we'll say that. Niggle's, niggles good if, it, if it's just. Scratch it away at the edge. Scratch, yeah. It it does. It does. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, and I would say for me, um, I find that um, when, and this is when with our group as well, and, and anywhere, and not just my group, but it's not, it's limited to, it could be to any of the other groups that I've, I've gamed with, is that when somebody decides, and you'll know this because you, you're a, you're a, you're a miniature. You, you put on scenarios, you put on big games, and you put on figure games, is um, there's a difference between gaming with like a board game with chits and yeah. stuff like that. And there's, it's a, and there's a difference between miniature gaming, right? Yeah. And the, and it's not just the obvious of that ones in miniatures and ones using cardboard. The other thing is that ones that somebody's taken the time to craft these figures, this terrain, they've typically probably made the scenario up from scratch or modified something. Anyway, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears has gone into it. And I hate when I have people that either don't show, like they think, oh, they just blow it off and they don't show up for the game. Or Or they don't have, they don't come in and invest their time to get into the, into the game. Because somebody's put, a lot of effort into it, right? So if I have, if I have a mate that's put on a, you know put something into putting on a game, I really try to make sure to show up and you know to really yeah. give it a go and have some fun yeah. and to make sure at the end of it saying, hey, you know, thanks a bunch for putting this on. The you know, table looked awesome. Loved the figures. Really had a great time. You know and. Because it's it, it takes a lot. There's nothing like you know trying to explain what we do to somebody who doesn't know. It's you know it's kind of weird, but it's like putting on a party, right? Yeah. And um, and um, 
I, uh, I find it sometimes dispiriting when uh, you put on something like that and people say, hey, well, thanks a bunch, and off they go. They leave early or they don't show up or, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh, because uh, there's a lot of investment put into into these games and it's a lot of the, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the investment is not just on the game itself. It means that there's been months put into painting or to creating the yeah. terrain and, you know, in, um, doing all the research for the order of battle or scenarios and I, I'm very cognizant when I get invited to one of these games to really try to, uh, you know, to make sure I give it my all as a player to, you know, mm-hmm. to show uh, my gratitude for somebody to put this on because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love. Right. And yeah. uh, I, I think, I think that's, uh, that's quite, that's a, that's a really good one actually, because um, there are different wargaming types, aren't they? Um, different. Yes characters within wargaming and there will always be that person who is the organizer is the scenario developer is is the one who puts the games on and and i'm similar to you in that i have my own gaming space and people come here five or six guys come here um and when they turn up everything's set up on the table and ready to go uh, and if you're not one of those people who who does that, you don't quite see the what happens. Yeah, beforehand, do you? You don't see the you know ten o'clock on a Friday night wandering around the games room, setting the table up, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You everything that happens behind the emerald curtain is often never <laughs> witnessed, right? Yeah. 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 So no. I, yeah, I like that one. That, that's uh, so. How, how are we, we going to class that as disinterested war gamers, ungrateful war gamers? What's <sighs> maybe disinterested. Yeah, I wouldn't say. Yeah, disinterested. Yeah, that would be maybe most the. That would probably be the harshest way. I would. I would say. Uh, and I don't yeah. think. That, and it's not. I don't think it, any of it's mean spirited or anything. It's just you know. Some people just are kind of. Uh, and the thing is, as you say, you you have people to get kind of used to you. Can they get used to you putting on the games? And so it becomes kind of, well, you know, Ken's going to do this. So, and it becomes, uh, you get used to it, right? Like an old yeah. sock. Right? And you, yeah. you expect that it's always going to be there. And, uh, and it's kind of fun to turn the tables on them and say, hey, you know, why don't you put on a game and uh, I'll, I'll, play, I'll play anything you want to. And sometimes you'll get these uh, friends, these mates that they, they take up the challenge and they'll put on a game. And then uh, you can tell they go like, Oh wow! Like yeah, there's there's a lot that's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and um, I think as well that um, people who who there are people who going back to the Venn diagram of wargaming. Um, there are people who are just gamers, and they don't get the painting and collecting side, so they don't yeah. see all the time that has gone into making that table or making that scenario or making um you know all all those lovely figures that you put together to them it just appears to be like a gaming piece yes whereas to us there's you're looking at it and going there's there's a couple of weeks work that just got on that one unit yeah yeah Yeah, for sure so well i can i can uh, pull the plug and uh, we can load disinterested war gamers up onto our trailer stack mm-hmm. it up be- behind our four by four and we'll take it down to the tip on saturday afternoon thanks very much for that kurt we'll move now on to the big topic 
So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the big topic, and um, we've talked all about Kurt for uh, for an hour now, um, but we're now going to talk about something slightly different, and that's the Analog Hobbies Winter Paint Challenge. Um, and so, Kurt, probably the easiest thing to do is just for you to give us sort of a brief history of the challenge and, and how it started off. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so about uh, around 12 years ago, um, I wanted to get some work on some Napoleonics I was working on. I wanted to get ahead on it. So I, uh, I decided I'd do something over, um, over a portion of a few weeks, a few months at the time and, uh, invited some friends. There was only seven of us. And so we, we just painted Napoleonics and, you know, assigned some points to each and, and, uh, came up with this idea that we'll just, just challenge one another to get these figures done. And then, uh, I decided uh, the next year I got some more inquiries by email because we did it on the blog and there yeah. were some other people that said, Hey, you know, this sounds kind of fun. Let's can, would you do, would you do it again? And I said, yeah, sure. And so I went next, you know, the following year, then I uh, did another one and, you know, we kept it to historicals again and we thought, well, let's do it over the winter months. So, you know, from, you know, from December 20th to March 20th. And uh, because you know, the, the winters here are long and hard, so we're all stuck in. So we might, might want to enjoy ourselves doing some painting, yeah. right? And so, uh, and then it went from there. And then it went from year to year. And, you know, and it became, you know, it just sort of, you know, naturally just kind of became a an annual thing. And um, it grew in size um, year by year to now, you know, we habitually have around, you know, um, I would say anywhere between, 75 to 100 people uh, participating, and uh, it's not just Napoleonics; it's everything, all fantasy, sci-fi, terrain, any scale, you name it. You can, you can, you can post it. And uh, and I came up with sort of a very imperfect metric for scoring um, <laughs> that people, you know, put up with, uh, which is fine. Um, and it's not, and like I said, it's very imperfect. It's not, it's not, it's not the bee's knees, and I still get lit up for it from time to time. But it does give us sort of a base metric to go against. And um, the thing that I wanted to do with it is uh, the word challenge really is what it's about. It's not a contest. And you know, some people will say that, oh, Kurt, you know, are you starting doing your contest again this year? And I, and I always try to correct them, saying, you know, it's not a we don't judge um, we don't judge painting on it. It's not about that. Uh, there's lots of other there's lots of other venues that do that, and I think they're great. Like I, I love it. Um, you know, that judge people's painting. This is not about that. This is just about getting enjoying each other's company, getting stuff done over the yeah. three months, and uh, having a lot of fun. And then being able to give support to other hobbyists um, around the world, and I, so it's a challenge. It's just a challenge. You you sort of at the start of the uh, the start of the event, I ask everybody to say, okay, how many points do you want to set up as your benchmark that you want to aim for to getting done over the three months? And then uh, everybody puts in what they want as their benchmark, and that's what you row towards, right? And it's all personal. Like you know, I may put down. I want to do 400 points, but Ken may put down, I want to do 2000, you know, it's all based yeah. off of our own, our own, um, you know, personal uh, target, what we want to get done. And, uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, then everybody can post uh, their, their work during the, uh, during the period. Typically we do it like where you get to post once a week. 
And then I have a bunch of friends that help me out. We call them, you know, uh, tongue in cheek, we call them minions. So they, they, uh, they help me out on, uh, on doing, uh, you know, watching, watching what's going on day by day. And, uh, and then we have theme rounds. We have, you know, we have prizes, we have sponsors that help us out with providing prizes for things. And it's, it's great. And it's grown over the years to become a very, uh, a very safe, fun, encouraging community that I've, you know, I'm very happy to be a part of. So from those, from those original seven, then, are there any of those other than yourself left in the, in the ranks? You know, no, you know what, from that original group, I'm the only one that's left now. Um, yeah. The other fellow who was in for like 10 years straight was uh, John Michael, a friend of mine. Uh, he's a, yeah. he's a Newfoundlander, a Newfie. But he's moved more into just pure gaming, and he doesn't paint as much, so he's bowed out the past few years. So that's that's mm. it. I, I'm uh, I'm sort of the last man standing as far as as uh, being in it from uh, all all twelve editions. And um, but there's people in there that have been in for you know nine uh, eights, you know, lots of yeah. eights, lots of sevens, uh, and to the point now where we I probably have about 40, 45 people I would say that have at least uh, seven or eight if not yeah. more under their belt. So, you know, and that's, uh, and there, I would consider them all good friends, you know, and you know, yeah. we were joking at the start of this uh, before we got online here, but <laughs> about, you know, the sort of surreal environment that we have in the 21st century where you can have close friends now that you've never met, you know, that you've never actually exchanged physical words with, but that you've, uh, that you chat with all the time and you really care for and enjoy their company virtually. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things that one of the things on my list of many points to raise was was the community of the challenge. Um, yeah. And I, I think that that definitely has been achieved. Um, and like you say, you've, we've got 40 people who are regular most years. Yeah. Um, and um, unfortunately, um, we, we lost one of those. Uh, this year, didn't we? Uh, chapter yeah. Noel Williams. Um, so just describe to the listeners who Noel was and, and how he kind of took part in the challenge. And, and Yeah, Noel, uh, Noel was, um, he's from the UK. Um, he's a, um, was a retired professor of English. He was a poet, a published mm -hmm. poet. And you could tell he was uh, when you read his uh, when you read his blog entries, they were amazing. Like they were they were they were so funny, loquacious. Like you 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 have to get a tea and sit down for a while because they were very long, but they were very entertaining. Uh, he was a good painter, but he was he was just an he was, on top of all that, he was just a really really nice man. He was a great guy, uh, great heart. And he loved the hobby, and he loved encouraging people in the hobby. And uh, yeah, and then he was he was taken away from us this summer. So it's uh, it you know yeah, I I, feel, I keenly I never met the man, but I keenly yeah. felt uh, I'm keenly feeling his absence already. And uh, so we'll 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 uh, we'll tip our hats to him this year in the challenge. We'll have a we'll have something special for to commemorate him. Uh, but yeah, that's the first time I've like I said I've run twelve. 12 years now and I'm like, I'm in my fifties. Uh, and it's kind of funny cause you think, you know, oh, you know, you kind of think you're timeless, but you know, we're all, we're all, we all age. And uh, so you, you, it was sort of a reminder of our mortality and it's a reminder. I think more than a few of us have lost friends over the past few years. Yeah. And you, uh, you, uh, you want to make sure that the, when we do get together, you have as good a time as you can with friends mm -hmm. because you know, you're not always, you're not going to be around forever. And, you want to have uh, uh, you want to make your presence felt in a good way, right? 
Oh, definitely. And I remember, I can't remember whether it was last year or the year before, he kind of, um, he, he developed like a story throughout his entries. That's and, right. And he, he brought in all of the competitors as characters within this story. Yes. And, yes. and over the three months, it just developed and developed. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was completely it was mad. Yeah, it was mad. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, yeah, all the be- all the best, Noel. Uh, it, yeah. it was it was great knowing you, mate. It really was. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that th- those that community, then a lot of people um, comment on each other's posts, don't they? I certainly try and comment yeah. on as many as I can. And yeah. um, I found it, and I'm sure you'll agree, as a very welcoming place, a very encouraging place. Yeah, Noel. Noel. Um, I think he, Noel has an article coming out about the challenge in a few, in a month or so. That's going to be at uh, War Games Illustrated, um, and he uh, he made a comment when he was writing his piece about it, saying that he felt the challenge was sort of like the United Nations, as you said, the United Nations of gaming, <laughs> yeah. uh, or so of painting, you know, of, of the yeah. hobby. In that uh, we have, I don't know how many nations are represented now. I think we have probably, uh, I would say, over twenty different, yeah. you know, nationalities that participate in the challenge, uh, male and female. And, um, you know, it's fabulous to, to have this, uh, experience across the, you know, across the world that people that are all tied, they're tied together by this common love of toy soldiers, you know, of painting miniatures and, um, and they like the challenge, I think, because it's a safe nurturing place. You're not, you don't, you're not going to come and find the challenge to be a place where people are going to tell you how to paint per se. You know what I mean? Like they may give you some tips or something, but it's not that sort of critique type environment. It's more about, it's very nurturing. It's very collaborative. And you know, it's, it's really a space in which people can feel like if you're new to the hobby and new to painting, that you can feel that you're not going to get ravaged by really uh, accomplished pro painters, you know, calling you out. Uh, it's a good, it's a good space to be. And I, I really like, and I can't say, I, I can't take, uh, I can't take any, uh, um, credit for that. That just grew out of the community. Um, yeah. other than, you know, I moderate it. Um, but I've never really had to moderate, you know, I've never had to come in and say, Hey, you know, can I calm down or, you know, watch your language or anything. I, I've never had to, it's just yeah. the type of people that it's attracted. It's been, a, it's a really good group of people and it's a great, it's a great place to be for three months. Yeah, I think um, in general, wargaming social media is a relatively positive place. There are areas that uh, are very negative. Certain forums yeah. um, can be can be very vicious, and um, and I think that that can be very off-putting for new people into the hobby. Um, yeah. and I, I I find that with the challenge that if people want to ask for help, then people will give them help. But exactly. nobody's going to sit in, sit in there and go, "You've done that wrong. You should be doing no. this." And I think that's a very positive thing. Yeah, yeah. Because there's lots of if you wanted, if you want to, if you want to get a critique of your painting, there's lots of other venues to do to do that online yeah. that you can join. You know, that are like I say, competitions, right? And uh, where you're going to get that, which is you know, and I said I I, I enjoy those as much as well. I, I like painting. I enjoy doing that type of, uh, uh, type of competition once in a while, but, uh, the challenge isn't, that isn't that, you know, this isn't the place for that. It's, it's a different, it's a different environment. 
Yeah, it's not. It's. It, I think you deliberately called it a challenge rather than a competition, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, it was a very conscious decision right from the start. So, um, you've you've kind of gone over it then. So, uh, but just did just somebody enters the, the the challenge and they determine themselves, don't they? What points they're going to go for, uh, and yeah. just without going into every single one which is what's a rough idea of what points are yeah for yeah when i when i came up with kind of the matrix for the points i kind of i went from the smallest scale and went on up so you know from yeah. you know i thought okay what what would you get for painting two millimeter figures and mm-hmm. and then but of course we say the queen of scales is 28 mil so i yeah. kind of that sort of pivots around that so like for for example a 28 millimeter foot figure is five points uh, a yeah. 28 millimeter ca- uh, mounted figure is 10 points and then I, you know, I basically scaled the the point matrix on both yeah. ends of that, right? Yeah. You know, going down to two mil and then going up to, you know, right up to whatever ninety mil if people are doing really large scale, you know, presentation figures. And um, and is it it's is it perfect? No, uh, because you know what you know what one person puts into a twenty eight millimeter figure can be entirely different from what another person puts into. Yeah. A 28 millimeter figure. So I may take a, I may take a week to paint a single 28 millimeter character figure, whereas an, another guy will crack out a unit for in a week. That's just t- like what we call, you know, what people would call tabletop standard, right? Yeah. And the thing is, is that you know, people are good that they don't get bent out of shape about that. It's still, you know, it's still five points a figure, yeah. you know. And like I said, it's a challenge. It's a way for you just to say, I want to get these many figures done. And during the three months, and I just needed some sort of a metric to allow people to yeah. to to row towards, right? And it's, it's more of a personal challenge, isn't it? You're not. Trying, it is. Oh, there is a league table. It's still yeah. you against yourself. Exactly. And and there's lots of fun there. You know, at the start of it, we have lots of smack talk and people. You know, <laughs> you know, doing doing. We call them duels, paint duels. So you'll have people saying, you know, I could say to you know, I could say to Ken, hey Ken, I'm gonna. Let's paint. Uh, let's t- paint Italian wars this year, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can paint more stuff than you, right? And uh, or we can say let's see who can get to let's see who can get to 200 points first, right? Yeah. So you know, and so there's uh, then there's a whole you know there's a whole gambit of challenges and and little duels that are happening amongst painters, and so we keep track of that as well. So it's fun, but it's all very lighthearted, right? So. Oh, definitely, definitely. And um, there's always um, a little entry fee, isn't there? Um, and um, last year it was painting um, something for another member. Other years um, we've donated to a charity. And yeah. um, that, so that's a nice little side side as well. Yeah, yeah. The first few years I, I was being very uh, 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 megalomaniac and I had people painting. I said, you had to paint a figure for me. I wanted an example yeah. of for me, uh, which was, which for, for me was great. I got, ex- I got samples from all of these painters from around the world and I, I loved it. And, th- and then it became a thing and people started calling it the Kurt Guild, right? Um, yes, yeah. the, the, you know, what you have to pay up. But, uh, I've, I've now, we, I've sort of gone away from that and it's more, you know, we either paint for, you know, painting for each other or, or sometimes I even ask for, you know, putting five, you know, five quid or five bucks towards a charity, um, you know, and uh, we do do it that way. But it's pretty, it's a pretty light entry fee. Uh, it's yeah, not, it's yeah. not, not too strenuous. 
that's uh, yeah, I, I painted some for uh, figures for Paul Shriven Smith last year. Yes, uh, yeah. And, uh, he, he he was very happy to get those. So uh, yeah, I'm sure. It. Yeah, I quite enjoyed the giving, if you see what I mean, as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was that was that was a nice part of it. Um, over recent times, you, you've you've done a couple of. Um, sort of side challenges as well. We've had a, a quarantine challenge, and was there a, a vaccine challenge? As well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a you know last the uh, year before last, just when the COVID hit, we did a just a quarantine challenge just for people to do stuff over the spring into yeah. the summer, um, just to keep everybody sane because we're all in. That was when everybody was in a hard lockdown. Yeah. And then uh, the this last spring, I did a uh, a vaccine challenge where it was just uh, just for fun, just to say, as soon as once you once you got yourself vaccinated, you had to bow out. But yeah. otherwise, you you could keep plugging away, submitting stuff until you got vaccinated, which is <laughs> sort of a it gave you a sort of a sad metric about how certain nations are kind of lagging with their uh, vaccination programs. But uh, but you know it was good to slowly start seeing people drop off of that. You know, <laughs> well I, I couldn't even enter that one because I I know had my vaccines before it started. I know that was good. The UK guy, you guys got off the mark really quickly there, so it was great. Yeah, so uh, we we all had to bow out very early on, on that. Yeah, you know that one I was fine. That was not, I was that one I was really working towards not having people on it as soon as possible. Right? You know? <laughs> yeah. Get off! <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very, very good. Um, but it's um, it's not just you. you. You've mentioned one part of the uh, of the uh, analog hate, hobbies paint challenge staff, um, the the minions. Um, so where, where do the minions come from, and what do they do? Uh, they're usually uh, they're actually usually they're always the sort of drawn from the old salts from the uh, from the yeah. community. I, I may put you on the on the point here, Ken. I may ask you if you want to be a minionist. You've never been a minion yet, have you? I, I haven't. No, and um, I would definitely love to help in in one way, shape, or form. That would be no problems. Okay. My, well, my, my my problem is um, if it was a, a daily minion because I work shifts. So yeah. I can work one Monday and not be working the next Monday. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad so yeah, this is usually how the conversation goes. Is I come and put the screws to one of the yeah. one of the old salts from the uh, from previous challenges, and I ask them if yeah. they'd be willing to sacrifice uh, one of their days to keep an eye on the blog, and uh, they basically. They basically do all of the moderation and public publication to the blog for people that are assigned to that day. Yeah. Uh, because usually how the challenge works is everybody is assigned to a they they submit on a particular day, yeah. and uh, so you, you paint you paint in, during the week towards your your assigned day, and then you have your minion who who posts your stuff for you onto the blog, and they usually do a nice job at doing a little bit of a write up, um, yeah. you know, on it as well, and it's kind of nice. And as you say, you know. It's very childlike. Like our, we get childlike glee from getting comments from strangers and friends, right? You know, yeah. yeah. We all kind of regress to being like twelve-year-olds when we post yeah. stuff onto the blog because you you love hearing people talk about your work, right? You like to yeah. get feedback on what you've done, so yeah. you know it's it's good. It's, yeah, and it's it's when and you, you kind of I found in the past that you kind of have like a team Tuesday or team Wednesday. Yeah, and you kind of all club together and, and there's even more although there's this encouragement from everyone. You kind of get a little team mentality as well. Yes, and it's yeah. like oh, I'm looking forward to 
how many camels Dave paint, has painted yes. this week. Or, yeah, because Dave's, Dave's on Wednesday, so it's going to be Camel Wednesday. You know? Camel Wednesday, exactly. Yeah, um, that's right. We, 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 we haven't talked about probably the most important person in the challenge, and that's Lady Sarah. Uh, um, yes. Uh, your, your wife and, and her involvement. So just explain that to, to everyone. Yeah, so Sarah um, Sarah comes from a household of boys. So all her brothers were boys, and they're all they were all in the hobby as well. So she knows she knew what she was getting into when she uh, when she hooked up her wagon to, <laughs> to to this old horse, right? And so she knows about the hobby, and she she really enjoys it. And uh, but over the years, when the challenge was first going kicking off, the first few years, she was saying to me, "Oh, I'd like to somehow be involved in this." And I and so we came up with this idea that she would uh, she would be uh, she would judge female like female figures. Um, so she would ask for people to submit female figures and then she would have a prize for them at the end of the challenge that we called Sarah's, Sarah's choice. And then, uh, when we started using, um, we used these theme, like these, we use a map sometimes for doing themes. And so she's often involved in that as well in that, uh, she provides, uh, people to move around the map more easily. Uh, to these different theme locations and the, the price for her to do that or for that to happen on the map is that you have to submit a female figure um, on your on you know on the blog um, and uh, that facilitates your rapid movement around the map uh, we haven't really talked about how the maps work but that's all right there if you go to the blog you'll understand but uh, it's but what's what it's allowed Sarah to do is it's allowed her to be more connected into the hobby and she can go onto the blog and do a search under Sarah's choice because people will yeah. tag it and uh, and then at the end of it she gets to choose her runners up and her her choice for the for the year and people have really embraced it this and it's wonderful because often uh, as Tamsin, one of our other female painters, will often say, it's the, the challenge sometimes can end up being a bit of a sausage fest, right? You know, so, <laughs> um, so you you end up having a lot of guys um, right doing yeah. guy stuff. Um, so a lot of male miniatures, you know, testosterone-based male stuff. So I find the uh, the Sarah's choice and the Sarah's miniature sort of aspect to be kind of cool because it it uh, it allows us to think about hey is there any cool figures female figures that I have in my my lead pile or my plastic pile that I could do that would uh, that would enthuse Sarah and uh, you know show what's out there and as we found out from there's am amazing ranges of female figures that have come out you know there's uh, yeah. astonishing stuff that's out there so it's it's been good it's been great to have that as an aspect so the, the you mentioned there the maps or it's like it's like a flow chart isn't it it's probably the easiest yeah. way to explain it with a different um theme each year and yeah. if just for the readers if you kind of read listeners um you kind of have to make your way through a maze or an island or whatever and each each stop off point has a Theme? A theme, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and how would how would that work? Yeah, you know, and it's a, it's an elective thing. You don't have to like, in the challenge. You don't have to do this. It's just something. It's sort of a side thing that people can do if they want to. You can paint purely towards your points goal. That's fine. You can do that. But if you want to, you can also elect to go through this you know crazy little environment that I cook up every year. <laughs> Um, so one year I did it where it was based off of a, you know, a, you know, a deserted island and there was all of these locations on the island that were typically named after past challengers and they all had, uh, each, each location on the island had a, ch 
had a theme that you had to paint towards. So, you know, paint a, paint a unit that has red as its element or paint something that has, you know, a, uh, uh, a, a, a spider or a monster or paint, you know, all these crazy different, you know, uh, themes that you can do. So we did one that was based off an island. We did last year, we did one that was based off of a dungeon, like going through a classic kind of a D&D dungeon crawl dungeon. And um, the person who designs these with me is uh, Sidney Roundwood, who some people yeah. will know. Um, he's, you know, one of the greats on the blogosphere. And yeah. he's one of the lardies from uh, Two Fat Lardies, too. He's yeah. a part of the lard group. And so he's a good artist as well. So he's helped me out on doing all of these maps. And so we'll do another one this year as well. And uh, so it, it just, it's all of these sort of uh, wacky locations that people can work towards and have a bit of fun with and it's um it's a good way to get through some obscure figures i've yes. found over the years um yeah. i kind of go ah right this challenge i need to, i remember last year i needed to it was torture yes uh, yes so i had a figure who was in a torture chair and i just thought all those years i've been going to watch bradford city you know i should have remembered that I, if i would have remembered that because you did a whole series i think you did about yeah. six or seven vignettes yeah. based off of your your painful uh painful time as a fan of your club right yeah exactly so that gave, yeah. that gave me an excuse to get rid of some figures i had lying around for years and years and yeah. uh, they're, on, they're on the shelf behind me and they're a nice reminder of, uh, of, of a challenge gone by um, over the years, then you, you, said, you said at the start that first challenge it was all Napoleonics. Um, how have how have trends gone in the in the challenge? How have periods come and gone? Have scales come and gone? Sure, um, I think you had mentioned it. The the the, the rise of skirmish gaming has really yeah. taken. You know, Frostgrave. Um, you know the. Uh, Pikeman's Lament, uh, those very the variations on Pikeman's Lament, you know, there's more skirmish oriented games, Necromunda, uh, Blackstone Fortress, you know, a lot of the GW type uh, skirmish type games. They really, you know, they a lot of people find them attractive because they have, they have a very low figure count to get into them, and the, also the miniatures are fabulous. Uh, like the stuff that's out for all of those, you know, like out from Nick, you know, Nick's Nick Aries with the Frostgrave and that, like they're fabulous miniatures. Um, and then, uh, and then of course, movies and film, uh, film have a big impact. So when we went through all the Hobbit, you know, and the Lord of the Rings, you know, so they those became, you know, big attractions. People wanted to get a lot of Lord of the Rings stuff done. And, and I think that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised now with Dune being released that we're going to start seeing, you know, miniatures and stuff coming out for Dune. Uh, the same thing for, uh, miniseries, like with, um, you know, um, uh, George R. R. Martin's, um, you know, uh, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Thank you. Um, you know that really sparked a lot of interest in fantasy and and, and in that in that uh, series of books and and uh, on that series uh, television series. So yeah, it it kind of fits fun. It over the like twelve years, you've seen this really inc interesting ebb and flow and, of interests, and uh, and yet you still have the people that are hardcore historians. They you know they just. Yeah, I know that, you know, like for Ken, you know, you'll have your main, your major project that you'll want to get done. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and it's fun to watch that. Like I know last year you had, uh, you did, Rebel, I think, Republican Romans, correct? Yeah. I did yeah. The whole yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm not just myself. A lot of us loved watching that. And I'm going to do the same thing this year, stealing from you, where you started off in the challenge. You took a picture of a, of a game board and you just had all of the empty MDF bases. And then yeah. slowly over the three months, you started seeing, you would take another picture and there'd be less of these empty MDF bases <laughs> and there would be actually be figures there. Right. And it was yeah. cool. It was fun to watch that. And, uh, and for somebody who organizes this thing, it just makes me feel, you know, it really makes me feel great because it's like, wow, you know, like, uh, you know, this, this event helps spark people to get, you know, stuff done. And it's good. Yeah, it's great. It's a good feeling. It, it, it was um, a really good idea that, but after I'd done it and done it for a couple of weeks, I kind of realized that. I can't fail now, can I? Because at the end of the challenge... That was a lot of white, my friend. You painted a yeah. lot of white. <laughs> uh, the, I, all of that, because I don't use a wet palette. One of the people yeah. people say to me is that, oh, you, you, you don't, you know, you'll say you use a lot less paint. Well, uh -huh. I painted a, a, an Italian Legion, a 1 to 20, all in white, and I didn't use a full tub of Vallejo white. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I can. I, I'll keep stretching it. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's uh, is it is it Millsy Millsy who does the stats for the? Uh, it's actually um uh, Miles uh, Miles reading yeah. Miles, 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 Millsy uh, Millsy also is uh, is uh, involved in this too. He's from Australia. Miles is yeah. from uh, from the U.S. and M Miles yeah. is a. Uh, He's from the financial uh, back. He's from a financial background, so he ah, loves stats and numbers. Yeah, and so he handles all of the spreadsheets that are behind this because uh, he, he 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 keeps track of all these stats, and it's amazing. It's a lot of fun. He does a great job, and and he does these stats roundup. He does usually a couple, uh, three or four stat roundups over the over the course yeah. of the challenge, and they're always pretty hilarious. He has a very good sense of humor. <laughs> And, and you can tell the trends from that, can't you? He he breaks it down into historical periods and scales and yeah. um, compares it to previous challenges and points. Yeah, and, stuff. and then he has this crazy he he has a crazy wrap up metric at the end of how many hundreds of thousands of dollars we've managed to spend, <laughs> you know, yeah. doing doing the challenge, and uh, you know that the hobby industry should be forever in debt to us uh, for for doing it. So yeah, it's, it's fun. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's true. Um, the the challenge certainly over probably the last two or three years has um, become a lot more well known um, through uh, media and the war games press, etc. Um, right. do, do you know why that is? Have you got a, an inkling? Uh, no, I you know I think I think. Um, we, I come, I always think about this is that, you know, when I started the hobby, um, as a teenager, it was a very insular hobby. Like you paint by yourself, you have a very close knit group of friends that you play games with, you know, yeah. so your hobby universe, this is back in the, you know, eighties, nineties, yeah. you know, in the aughts is your hobby universe was very small. It was very tight, usually within your own community. And uh, then when the blog and the internet and the blog blogosphere kind of came on on the horizon, it, it exploded everything. The, the idea that you could start a uh, you know you could start a blog and post something, and then you'd have somebody comment from across the world, and it just I just like it just blows your mind, right? And then 
the challenge really stemmed from that, this idea that you could have people that have a love for this hobby from all over the world that can dedicate three months of a year to hang out together yeah. and do something in a virtual sense and that you can make friendships in which you've never really met the person, but you would say like, yeah, like, you know, you know, Ken, Ken from Yorkshire, he's a buddy of mine. Right. And <laughs> yeah. you know, have, oh, have you ever met him? Never met. I didn't even, I didn't even know what you look like until this afternoon. Right. So yeah. um, that's pretty amazing. Uh, whereas, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff about social media that's pretty vile and not, very helpful to humanity. <laughs> you know, we've certainly got a taste of that over the past few years, uh, but there's a lot of good stuff that can happen from it too. And I considered the challenge to be one of the good aspects of social media that I think people find attractive is that you're, because you're, you work, you often do this stuff alone and you're working in, uh, in, you know, you're working in your a very insular environment, especially under COVID. Right. And, uh, and sometimes it's nice to have that human contact even if it's virtual or it's long distance so I, I i think it touches uh it touches upon people's sense of um you know sociability and i'm glad to see that it is being widely recognized um because it is an excellent community and um i have to say well done kurt for for bringing it to uh, to fruition all those years ago um did did you ever see it growing as it did or is it no kind of more no i I thought I thought it was going to be sort of a flash in the pan thing, and yeah. uh, you know, after a few years, it would the interest of it would die out, and I didn't think it. You know, I remember when we got over forty people on it. You know, people were losing because this is when I was handling it all myself. I was doing the whole yeah. show myself, and people were like, "Oh my God, Kurt, how can you? You're not going to be able to manage this." But then it was amazing because people started stepping forward because they wanted it to continue on. They said, oh, I get, just let me know what I can do. And uh, so that's when the Minion idea came up where we have you know friends that are helping out with it. And it allowed it to grow um, and to continue because I, you know, my work, you know, my profession and my work has gotten to a point where it's gotten more busy. I don't think I could do it you know, uh, all by myself anymore, but with friends, you know, you know that old song, you know, a little help from my friends. Um, it, uh, you know, you can, you can, you, I can, I find it fairly easy to pull off and, uh, and, uh, you know, I know when we came up to our 10th anniversary for the challenge, you know, there was people asking saying, are you going to, you know, you're going to hang up your spurs after this one. Yeah. And I thought about it. I thought, well, I wonder if I should just, you know, you know, do it while the doing's good. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I felt like, no, I'm still good for a few more years for sure. And, uh, I really, enjoy, I, I, I still really enjoy doing it. It's just a lot of work, but I still really enjoy the camaraderie. And I think it would leave kind of a void in my, uh, in my life if I didn't have that in the winter. So yeah, I'll still, I'll still trigger along for a while. Who knows? Maybe somebody else will want to take over from me sometime. That'd be nice. I wouldn't mind that. But uh, for the time being, I'll, I'll still plug away and uh, hopefully there'll be a few more challenges left in me. Brilliant. Um, because that, that's, you've kind of answered my next question, which is, why do you do it? Yeah. Um, and is it, is, is it there a sense of achievement? Um, hmm. Yeah, a little, a little bit. Uh, and it's kind of funny. It's almost like a, I, yeah, I don't say it's an obligation because it makes it sound <laughs> like it's, yeah. like it's odious because it, it yeah. isn't. But I also know that if we didn't do the challenge, there'd be a lot of people that would be kind of bummed out that the challenge yeah. wasn't around to, to help them get stuff done. Um, 
So I try not to feed my ego too much on it myself because I think that somebody else would easily step up and do the work because uh, it's I don't think it's especially hard. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I I do get a great sense of accomplishment from it and pride. I you know I really like the I like what the community has developed into for sure. Yeah. So I mean, people contact you, don't they, and, and kind of tell you that they're prepping for it. So yeah. I get it's it's wonderful. I get I get messages in the summer saying, "All right, Kurt, uh, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to go." I know it's in November, but you know I just want to let you know that I'm you know I'm collecting and priming as we speak, and yeah. uh, and I, I always get a charge out of out of those uh, notes, and uh, and then around this time of year in, in October leading into November, I I'll start getting yeah. peppered by people. You know they, they tell you can tell they're kind of wiggling in their seat, ready to get going, right? So. Yeah. Um, so that's great. I, I, I think that's, that's wonderful. I, I get, a, I get a lot of a pleasure from that. Well, it's, it's also introduced, um, uh, disease is probably the wrong word, but I would, I would suggest it. What we, um, I, every March, at the end of March, I enter what I call the analog hobbies, winter paint challenge, painting slump. Yes. <laughs> I've painted so much. Uh, yeah. Concentrated paint of part of time that my yeah. productivity just goes off the cliff i know and yeah and it, recover through the summer and then back yeah and you are not alone like everybody like we we all hit the wall by the time uh, march 20th because everybody paints right to the deadline because they want to you know they want to get their last bit of points done so it's great because people are just like painting like maniacs or staying up ungodly hours and it's like we're a bunch of teenagers again cramming for exams or something but yeah it's fun and but then the after you know the aftermath is like you i often hear people saying i don't even want to look at my brushes for like two months you know and uh and for me uh like you know i know for my our australian friends because they're on the different sea opposite seasons from us but for me it's great because i'm coming into spring i'm a green thumb i love gardening so by the time march you know the end of march is hitting i'm like i you know i'm done I want to start getting into the yard and, and getting into the, you know, you know, gardening and doing outside stuff. So I feel very virtuous in that I've gotten a body of work painted and then I can go into my spring and summer and feel that I don't, I don't have to feel guilty about ignoring my paints for a few months. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like we're Olympic athletes and building up yeah. that, for that competition and then yeah. resting and then building up our yeah. pace and getting ready every, every year. Um, yeah. so, um, we're, we're almost done, um, but uh, before we go, let's uh, talk about this year's challenge. And sure. um, what when is when is it going to be announced officially? And yeah, it'll be next uh, next grateful? yeah next week. Uh, I think next Saturday I'll be on the twentieth of November. I'll be putting out the announcement. Um, they'll uh, then there'll be. Uh, I think I'm going to be capping it around eighty people this year. Okay. Uh, around. 80 or so you know I'm, I'm a bit of a soft touch so i if you know people are begging i try to you know try to find a spot for them yeah. but uh, i find once you get starting to get around uh if you get around 100 people i'm finding that it gets to be too it gets to be too much to try to manage that's the one that's the one sad part about this challenge i would love to grow it and grow it and grow it to have you know i'd love to have as many people as i always end up having to turn lots of people away and um, I, it kind of bums me out because I would love it to be able to accommodate everybody that wants to play or wants to participate, um, but I can't. Um, so if people are interested, I suggest really 
you know, watching out on the blog and then uh, and then sending in your request to get in because it usually fills up within a couple of days and it's yeah. it's we're ca- we're capped out. And uh, yeah, and then the first day of the challenge starts on December twentieth on the first you know first day of winter, um, and then it goes right through until March around March twentieth, March twenty first, March twentieth, which is like the first day of spring. So we go through the winter winter months. And um, before the challenge starts, you're allowed to do a little bit of prep. So what can you do before the uh, the painting? Yeah. Yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you, of course, you can assemble, base up, and prime your minis. Um, uh, you just can't apply any any color, uh, no no color onto it. And then once the pistol shot for the for the start off uh, goes off, then you're free to go crazy and start you know lashing away with your colors. So so, but yeah, you can you can prep your figures. You don't have to have bare metal at the start of it. You can get stuff all prepped up. And some people like the base up, uh, you know, especially for individual figures. They like to have things based up and things like that already. And that that's great. Uh, but uh, yeah, we 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 have people that are always like, can I prime in my primary color? You know, you get all that kind of questions. And I try not to sweat sweat the details. But yeah, of course, you prime in whatever color you want. You know, so uh, that that's fine. But as uh, but as far as uh, starting off, we like everybody to be sort of starting off in the same pl- uh, level playing field, um, just for the fun of it. And um, what's the the uh, address of the blog that we that people would look to? Uh, let me see here. I have to let me check it out. It is. Uh, I should know this by heart, but I don't. It's it's horrible. Uh, yeah, it's called the Painting Challenge blogspot dot com. And that's there's a, there's a link from your analog hobbies yes. site as well, isn't there? Yeah, I think the, the, you can go backwards and forwards from one. To yeah, one. that's right. Yeah, if you visit my blog uh, analoghobbies.blogspot.com, uh, you'll find a link going to the uh, to the challenge from there as well. But if you just go into good old Google and um, and pop in painting challenge, uh, we've gotten enough hits over the years that it'll come up so you'll find us that yeah. way as well <laughs> you're not going to be hidden down on the fifth page no of Google yeah page. yeah we yeah we've, put, we've, we've carved out our space in immortality <laughs> in google immortality there so <laughs> well, that's, that's excellent so um tradition is on the show that people get to ask me a question if they want before the before we finish all Did right well I, well yeah i was going to ask you about being a minion so yeah you answered that it's good uh how, what's what's going to be your big project this year for the for the winter what are you going to be working on i am working on the uh, italian wars of independence which is oh risorgimento Risorgimento, yeah. yeah. So Gary Baldy and um, those of you who know me through uh, blog and the challenge, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Papal States. Yes. Um, so there was a there was a battle between the Papal States and uh, Garibaldi called the Battle of Mentana, mm-hmm. and um, I'm planning to do that as a demonstration game for shows next year. So I'm going to be painting the. Bulk, well, hopefully, all of the figures for that battle uh, for both sides. That's uh, 28 mil, 28 mil, obviously. Um, mostly Gringo 40. I don't know the oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, beautiful stuff. Yeah, beautiful very lovely. Figures. Yeah, and uh, this is a case of, a, of, of me getting into a period due to seeing the figures because I just thought, God, these are yeah. lovely. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, lovely. That, that, yeah, that's what we that's what you're going to be um, stuck with me doing this year so lots of red uh, yeah. as a, i wasn't doing any more white after last year i'm having yeah. a break from white after the uh, after the italian legions 
Well, it's been lovely chatting with you, Kurt. Thank you very much for spending the time and coming on the podcast. Thanks um, so much for having me. Uh, no worries at all. Um, so if you'd just like to say goodnight to everyone. Yes, thank you, everybody. Uh, everybody have a great uh, great November. And if you have the time or the willingness uh, and the will, come uh, come over to the Painting Challenge. If you don't participate, even come over and uh, look at what people are doing. Comment if you can. Uh, love to see you. That's lovely. Um, good night, everyone. That's another episode in the bag and uh, a great interview there with Kurt. And uh, I've brought forward the release of this particular episode uh, just to fit in with the start of the challenge. Normally this would come out on Friday, but I've brought it out early um, with the announcement of the challenge on Saturday. Just in case uh, anyone uh, is peaked interest wise uh, as a result of this podcast and wants to take part it just gives them uh, a bit more time to uh, try and get on the final roster um, so uh, as Kurt said at the start of the uh, of his interview uh, if you go along to the analog hobbies winter paint challenge uh, website uh, there is a announcement on there that tells you how to uh, join in this year's challenge and uh, I shall be there painting my 28 mil Italian Risorgimento stuff which I have been buying and prepping um, for the last well probably four or five months actually if you watch the monthly updates on the Yorkshire Gamer YouTube channel you'll have seen the figures uh, as they have come in as I've bought them so um, I haven't finalised uh, guests yet for December. Um, with this podcast coming out a week early, um, I'm just finalising uh, whether I'm going to have one or two episodes in December. And um, then I am going to sit down and have a think about what I'm going to do in the new year. Um not that I'm going to end the podcast, don't think that in any way, shape or form. Uh, I am just probably going to go to a slightly uh, less taxing schedule. I've been doing two a month, one on the second and one on the fourth Friday. And uh, there are, uh, not all the time, but there are occasions where that has been a little bit of a problem getting it finished. Um, so I'm probably, well, I am going to go to uh, the second and fifth Fridays in a month, which means uh, some months there will be only one episode. Um, but um, the initial thing was to get the podcast um, established and, and I think I'm there with that. We, we're, you know, we're regularly getting quite a lot of uh, listeners on here and on the YouTube. Um, so I don't feel like I need to make sure that my presence is there every uh, every fortnight. So uh, once, sometimes twice a month is is the plan for next month. I've got 32 people on my list of uh, potential guests, and uh, I've got spots for 12 next year um, <laughs> with catch-up episodes and the bruise in the vineyard stuff that I'm planning. Uh, so um, if I've spoke to you about being on the episode, um, I will get around to you eventually. Um, it just might be a while. So once again, thank you very much for listening. If you get chance nominators for the Caesar Awards and until next time see they